go to Wellington for Colin Peacock and Midweek Media Watch. Kia ora, Colin. Kia ora, Karen. Let's start with a bunch of I'm moving on announcements. Not Dr Ashley Bloomfield, but from broadcasters this week and among them a new job for John Campbell. Yes, quite a bit of movement uh, in and around broadcasters um, in the media scene this week. Yes, John Campbell uh, announced he's leaving the TVNZ Breakfast Show where he's been for, I think, three years, maybe a little more now. He is going to be the network's chief correspondent and uh, someone's coming in in his place. This is the former uh, TV3 presenter, Kamal Santa Maria, who I think has worked for about 20 years now at, um, at Al Jazeera. And he's coming back to New Zealand, sending out lots of social media posts about his, his flight in. He's clearly very excited to be back. He will be taking Campbell's role. Um, and John Campbell uh, said, I think on Monday, that his last day will be Friday and, and he's going to, I think, get a bit emotional and... Uh, so people who like that sort of thing can tune in on Friday and probably see a bit of um, tears and hugs and that sort of thing. What's he going to do as chief correspondent? Yeah, it's an interesting role. Uh, and some broadcasters are doing this. Sort of Guy and Espiner, for example, got out of the regular morning report gig to do these uh, special journalistic tasks and investigations. Uh, TV3 News Hub has a similar role. But uh, John Campbell himself, when announcing this, gave um, his own extremely brief summary of what he'd be up to. And I'll be back and I'll be doing work that I hope you'll watch across TVNZ from specials to stories for Sunday and one news to digital work to live news coverage. This isn't my last morning. Yeah, so pretty short and sweet there, but a bit more detail in a statement from TVNZ itself. And essentially, John will be able to get off the kind of hamster wheel of daily TV show and those pretty harsh uh, breakfast television hours doing special reports, documentaries. He mentioned there the Sunday program, their flagship current affairs show. Um, also, I guess when there's things like elections or significant breaking news, he could do things online or appear in studio. Uh, so expect that sort of thing from him. Um, but he also put out a bunch of tweets this morning along with his announcement. One of them was quite interesting. He said... Journalism matters, and when it gives space to people who don't have communications teams or press secretaries or send out media releases, it can change the way we see the world. I hope to do a bit of that. Um, and that's quite interesting because that's something he has done a bit of on The Breakfast Show, or the, the show has done since he joined it, from RNZ, getting in sort of grassroots people, community people, not just spokespeople or familiar pundits. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if if, uh, if they can resource what John is doing here, put good producers on it, uh, produce some interesting and different factual content. It, it will be a good thing. Well, last weekend on Media Watch, Hayden talked to the boss of News and Talk Radio at MediaWorks about this new talk station, Today FM, and also uh, the challenge of building a whole new news operation for the company. And this week there was an announcement about that? Yes, this is Dallas Gurney, who's the head of News and Talk at uh, the MediaWorks company. He came on the program and talked to Hayden and did not reveal uh, this thing that he did now reveal uh, in the last couple of days, which is that they're hooking up with the online news service Newsroom, uh, which is five years old now, the online startup founded by uh, former TV3 head of news Mark Jennings and former Herald editor Tim Murphy. So they've done a deal whereby the political staff at Newsroom, possibly there are other journalists as well, will do coverage for political stories for uh, the radio stations at MediaWorks, including that main one for News uh, Today FM. So they'll be doing, they made specific reference of next year's election, that's that's part of the deal as well, and interesting that Newsroom just recently hired uh, someone from the RNZ news team, Emma Hatton, uh, so I'm sure she will be used to do a lot of this radio work, and also um, the former RNZ gallery reporter Joe Moyer has moved over to them, and Joe actually, um, and her 
her signature phrase uh, was employed on Today FM this very afternoon where they got her on to talk about um, the resignation of Dr Bloomfield. I've seen a text from you already. It actually says, um, Ashley Bloomfield, gone burger. Yeah, I've got a reply too, and my um, Twitter is uh, sort of still blowing up thanks to Ashley Bloomfield. So he's one up on me at the moment, so I'll uh, have, to, have to sort that out at some point. Gonberger, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, Joe likes to put sort of breaking news, uh, and whether it's genuine news or just kind of media gossip sometimes or people changing jobs, she'll tag on the, the phrase gone burger. Um, so um, when COVID restrictions are announced, she might say, you know, red level gone burger or whatever as soon as she can on Twitter. So when Dr. Bloomfield announced his resignation, sure enough, straight onto Twitter, uh, Ashley Bloomfield, gone burger. Um, but the thing she referenced um, was that Dr. Bloomfield replied to her announcement himself, pointing out that actually he would be here, burger, until the end of July. So I think she was actually pretty chuffed that, um, seeing as he was at the heart of the news, uh, he took the time to reply to um, to her statement on Twitter. <laughs> a good move, do you think, for Today FM to use newsrooms people? Are there any fish hooks that you can see in it? Um, well, I suppose, I mean, it's good for, for MediaWorks, obviously, because when Discovery bought TV3 or the channel and all the other TV operations and the whole news operation of News Hub, it's been forced to, you know, create that new news operation, which is what we were talking about in part with Dallas Gurney on Sunday on, on Media Watch. But I do wonder, though, if you're um, if you're reporting on something that's really big or really sensitive, do you have to share it or will they be expected to share it or give a heads up to um to MediaWorks and Today FM, uh, you know, and their presenters like Tover O'Brien and Lloyd Burr, who are political journalists themselves. Uh, you know, if there's something that the lawyers have got to go through, do both parties have to get them? I'm not quite sure how these things uh, are structured. But there is a lot of news sharing now, so it's not necessarily a new thing. RNZ shares its news with just about everybody. You know, the spin-off shares its stuff with the Herald. Um, there's quite a few deals like this. And the other um, comparable, I guess, news service like newsroom was business desk and that has actually been bought up uh, by the herald nzme it's effectively part of the nzme operation now in business news and commentary so a bit of a shame that the diversity uh, is reduced a bit that these outlets are spread across each other uh, but i suppose the bigger picture here is the media is kind of remaking itself in the post-covid times partly these are just sort of practical and economical efficient solutions that, that keep the media viable on another new deal between our media companies this week, it puts more rugby back on the radio. One of the big casualties of COVID, right at the start of the first outbreak, pretty much, uh, radio sport was killed off by NZME. They said there was no sport on the air. They couldn't keep it going, so uh, they knocked it on the head. And then the Aussie outfit, SEN, Sport Entertainment Network, climbed in, and they are now broadcasting 24-7 on, I think, 28 frequencies around the country. But this week, NZME said it's done a deal to... Um, Get All Black and Black Ferns Rugby, Super Rugby Championship and uh, the Opiki Tournament. That's the women's one for people not familiar with that name. It's relatively new. Also the NPC Provincial Competition and the Farrah Palmer Cup. So they're all uh, going to be on News Talk ZB and the AM Network Gold, uh, which is part of the NZME operation, also on the online platform iHeartRadio. But bad news, I guess, for SENZ, because I think the theory was they would totally fill that void when Radio Sport came in. But I guess they didn't have the money or the connections to um, to get those rugby rights as well. So, yeah, back they go to um, NZME, but without a, a dedicated sports network to put them on. 
On to the subject of censorship now, and you wanted to talk about an interesting censorship decision about a new movie that's out this week. Yeah, this is this is a film called The Kashmir Files, and it uh, opened in Auckland and well, elsewhere around the country too last week. So it's about an episode in India's recent history, a very controversial episode, uh, which was the Kashmir insurgency. Uh, this happened in 1990. Highly contested uh, between India and Pakistan and uh, pundit uh, people who basically clashed and a lot were forced to leave home, some of whom now live in New Zealand. So this film was initially classified as R16. It's made in India. It's in Hindi language. Um, but concerns were raised among members of the Muslim community here that this would be inflammatory. The chief censor got involved and consulted community representatives and decided it should not be banned, but it will be R18. And so it is now in the cinemas around the country. So, so why is it controversial? Is it because it's only telling India's side of the story? Pretty much. That's basically it. I mean, some of the critics say that all the Muslim people in the film are portrayed as kind of bad, that the film is kind of a, an exercise in, in nationalism. I've read that it was somehow got tax breaks and the, the Indian government was very supportive. I don't know all the details about it, but clearly it's it's a film that really divides people from that, that part of the world who, who live here. And also that the film is not uh, subtle, according to the reviews and so on. If you look it up online, for example, uh, the makers Z Studios, which are a big Bollywood uh, operation. Uh, they promote it like this. 32 years later, the emotions and the pain remain the same. Witness the brutally honest story of the Kashmir genocide. So that's that's fairly loaded language. I'll play a little bit of the trailer now, actually, which has been seen, I think, about 50 million times on YouTube, which makes it pretty clear, even though you can't see the images, it's a pretty charged film. And we'll never allow Kashmir to be an integral part of this country. This is the time for justice, Krishna. Mm, so was this controversy reported here at all or, or just in New Zealand's Indian media outlets? Well, it was certainly on the Indian radio station Tarana, Radio Tarana covered it, uh, also the Indian Weekender newspaper, but also stuff. Uh, I think the only mainstream media outlet where I've seen it reported on community meetings that happened and there was a special screening to get it underway. Um, and there was also a kind of online community debate about it. Um, so just as an example of the depth of feeling about this, um, former Monaco uh, Indian Association President Via Kwa was one of about 100 people who lived through that insurgency in Kashmir and now lives here. And he was pretty angry uh, by the suggestion that the film wasn't historically valid. Who is going to share my pain? My request, my hand-folded request to this press here today is, please, you are the voice of people. Will tomorrow somebody write about Ukrainians? Oh, it was fiction. Does anybody have a courage to say Holocaust was a fiction? No. Well, that put the classification office in a tricky position, I imagine, requiring them to take both sides uh, or to take sides uh, one way or the other. So how did they deal with it? Yeah, the, the chief censor, David Shanks, put out a statement. He said the Hindu community had told him 
the film has had historical value. It should be released. People should be able to see it. Um, and some members of the Muslim community, he said, were of the view that the risk of harm to them uh, that it posed meant it, it just shouldn't be screened at all. So a really tricky position to be in because, I mean, there are lots of films out there, aren't there, which are, you know, nationalistic. You know, think of the films about, I don't know, the Vietnam War or something, uh, not that far back in history. And those would really upset um, some people uh, in New Zealand, a lot of them from a, an American perspective. So we're there's these sort of ethnic and, and nationalistic lines very, very hard for someone in his position to judge. So what's been the response to the decision? Do you think it's going to create a precedent? Or? Yeah, that, that I think is the interesting part of the story because when you look at how it's been reported in the Indian ethnic media here and also in India itself, um, they've noted that, uh, you know, that we, we now have, um, well, for example, in the Indian Weekender paper, their reviewer said the crux of this debate is that uh, the census office might deem it as you know almost illegal. And he noted Winston Peters has written in support of screening the film, uh, Melissa Lee, Nationals uh, media spokesperson has written to the classification office. David Seymour issued a statement saying the Kashmir files is controversial, but New Zealand is a country committed to freedom of expression. If you come to New Zealand, you accept New Zealand has free speech values. So really awkward. And, um, you know, the story in uh, the Indian online news site, The Quint, which has a huge audience, said, uh, quoted a, a local alliance of progressive Indian spokesperson as saying the supporters of the film have managed to make the public discourse here about the content of the film, not about that, but about freedom of speech and expression. And the big question, is it any good? Well, uh, the same crew made another historical drama that was uh, a bit ropey called The Tashkent Files. The, the Hindustan Times called it disgusting propaganda in which truth is a luxury. And there have been lots of reviews saying that this one isn't much better. Uh, for example, in India's version of Time magazine, a journalist called Debasish Roy Chowdhury said it marks India's further descent into bigotry that the more the the films that the, like this purport to show truth, uh, the more civil conflict the country risks. And uh, he said the extermination of Muslims calls for that ringing out from cinemas of people who'd seen it marks a major milestone into India's descent into darkness. So, yeah, it's clearly had an impact. Colin, thank you very much. And uh, we might catch you in a couple of weeks' time. Sure thing.